Welcome to the Big Careers Small Children podcast, formerly known as Leaders with Babies podcast. I'm Farina Hefti. I am the CEO and founder of the social enterprise Leaders Plus and your host today. I've set up this podcast and our award-winning Leaders Plus Fellowship program because I passionately believe we need to have more diverse leadership teams. It's not okay that our world is led to a large extent by elderly white males from middle class backgrounds, nothing against them, many are wonderful, but we need to have more people who are more diverse, including more of you listening right now, more women, more dads with caring responsibilities and so on. And that is why I'm trying to give you access to practical support and inspirational stories to help you progress your career to senior leadership level whilst enjoying your young children in a way that works for you and your families. Now, if you're listening to this, but you'd like a bit more of a more physical community of support where you can interact with other parents who have the same ambition in their careers, but are from all different sort of sectors, then please check out the Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash fellowship. You'll get a senior leader mentor, a super supportive, diverse community of peers who are ambitious at work and love their families, and also world-class access to information about how to progress your career and just support to overcome some of the challenges. And if finance is a barrier, um, don't let it be, because there are hardship fund places available. So as a social enterprise, every year we give away 10% of our spaces at a very, very reduced cost to make sure that we can be supporting people from all walks of life and also if you're listening from abroad first time 2022 we are going to have a global group of the leaders plus fellowship so definitely do check it out now you are listening to this at the end of the year and i presume if you're like many of us we are all tied down with a zillion responsibilities and lots of things to get done and If you're in the Northern Hemisphere, the days are darker. If you're in a Christian country, then you're likely to have to prepare for school plays if your children go to school and sort out an angel costume at last minute and so on and so forth. So I thought it'd be a really good place and time to, to have a look through our previous episodes and to pick out the best tips and suggestions around managing workload, managing fatigue, how to prioritize your well-being. Um, To be fair, actually, I wasn't able to get all the tips and reflections from our podcast guest in. I just thought I'll share with you a few. So you will hear from Laura Harrison, who is a personal friend of mine who is a really inspirational mentor on the Leaders Plus Fellowship program. She's been an HR director in big and large organizations and tiny organizations actually not tiny organizations just normal size organizations and she's also now the co-founder of the human change agency and helps organizations as a consultant and and change makers she's one of those people who just is very blunt and tells it as it is which is very helpful i think and then we have poppy jaman who is a founding member of the sifty mental health alliance and as a obviously a mental health expert, as well as Dr. Suhana Ahmed, who is a pioneer in the area of mental health in general as a psychiatrist, but also shares her own story about how she managed to look after her own mental health, especially whilst being in the eye of the storm 
with COVID. Uh, she's also a Leaders Plus fellow, so she knows what she's talking about when it comes to balancing it all. Or depends. Some people don't like the word balance, obviously. So hopefully it'll be really helpful to you. Let's dive right in. Now, let's get started with Laura. And she and I had an interesting conversation. We talked about this issue that many people who work part-time face is that sometimes you go from full-time to part-time and then you end up working full-time anyways or you feel really stressed because basically you're doing a full-time job in three days and she's got some really fresh ways of thinking about that about managing that workload when you move from full-time to part-time so let's have a listen to her tips and advice so if someone has a role that is spreading across a number of things, so let's say head of finance, like you say, where you can't just carve it up based on project, you are accountable for the financial sustainability of that organization. Once you've decided you want to go down from, let's say, five days to three days, what should be your steps in order to make it feasible, make it work? It needs to be approached from at least a couple of angles another one might come up as we're talking. So, um, but I said, so I'd say the first one is get your own internal mindset in order about this. So are you approaching this open to the idea that by going from five days a week to three days a week, you're going to have to let go of some things. And that's an amazing opportunity, right? Because it gives your team an opportunity to grow and develop. It potentially gives an opportunity for other people to do work with the organization, you know, contractors, freelancers, whatever, you know, you're creating a gap and feel really comfortable about that gap, you know, and, and then think about how you're going to fill it. Because the worst thing that you can do to yourself and to your team, actually, they'll end up wanting to kill you, is by saying, I'm going to go from five days a week to three days a week, but I'm not really willing to let go of anything. You are going to have to acknowledge that you're creating a gap and you have to be really happy about how you plan to fill it. You have to feel enthusiastic about that. Because if you don't, you won't move towards it in a positive way. You'll try and protect everything, the whole space. So there's that kind of side of it. And then the other side of it, particularly as our imaginary person is the head of finance, and I think this gets forgotten all the time, is you freed up 40% of your salary budget, right? If you've gone from a five-day week to a three-day week. So think really smartly about how you're going to spend that before it disappears into the wider organizational pot. I think this happens a lot, particularly with people who go down to four days a week, that that extra day of pay, which if you thought about what could this fund in terms of promoting someone to take on a bit more responsibility or what could this fund for some coaching for me to help me get through being successful in this period and if it's three days a week then that's you know that's an even more freeing up of cash so make sure you don't lose that cash and think about how you can use it to ensure that this is successful not just for you but because you are conscientious to the other women and possibly men in your organization who want to work part time. So I think that's a better exercise of the of the kind of need to be a role model, you know, to think about it that way than, than to be the sort of super perfect woman who I think a little bit of us and maybe this is just me. So putting this out there, a little bit of us wants people to go, oh, my God, I have no idea how you do that in three days. It's almost like five days work. And, and you kind of want to go, yeah, yeah, I know. God, I'm just amazing. But actually, you've got to reject that version of yourself. You've got to go, no, I'm creating a gap and I'm going to think carefully about how I fill it. But I'm going to hold that gap. I'm not going to swoop into it. You know, when stuff happens that I don't like because I'm not doing it and I used to do it. So that's annoying. 
so yeah i think i think those are the things i think about am i allowed to say one more thing i'm kind of obsessed with solidarity at work right particularly amongst women but i know this isn't just for women but and it seems to me that we've had a lot of data for a long time about part-time working so it's you know the stats have been produced we kind of understand the prevalence but it isn't really breaking through in terms of working for all parties for sure it works well for organizations who are paying 60 percent of salary to get 100 percent of output but that's not really the point so evidence informs our practice but so does experience and i'm not sure that there's enough of women and men who work part-time in organizations really coming together and thinking about their experiences and advising hr and advising the organization how to do this better I think everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people approach it in a fairly atomized way. This is my challenge. But look at the data. It's actually a really, really common challenge. So get together with everybody and use your own experiences to tell your organization, which will be different in all, you know, all organizations are a little bit different. Help me make this successful. So don't forget about that bit. You're not by yourself. You know, the data shows that really clearly. I love Laura's idea that we should just learn to be comfortable with the gap that is created by working less and support each other through it. If you want to listen to the whole conversation with Laura Harrison, it's in episode 42. I want to share with you as well a clip from episode 10 at the very beginning of the, at that time it was called Leaders with Babies podcast. It's a chat with Poppy Jaman, OBE. She is one of the key, key leaders behind our drive around mental health. So the fact that you see mental health everywhere, everyone is talking about mental health nowadays, that is largely, strongly influenced by Poppy Jamon's work. Um, she is the CEO of the City Mental Health Alliance. Um, if you've heard of Mental Health First Aid, that's her baby, one of her babies. She's been a, a driving force behind that. And she's a real mover and shaker. I can't name the number of boards and initiatives that she's involved with. But she's also got a really personal story around her own mental health. And she's struggled with that and been a real inspirational re- leader in how she's dealt with the mental health challenges that she's experienced, which is something that so many of us will experience at some point in our life. So I want to just share a very practical clip where we start talking about cleaners and then go on to discuss about how we need to change our own assumptions. Um, I I think it might be quite eye-opening. One of the things that I say particularly to women, but parents, is as soon as you can afford it, get a cleaner. And it was the best bit of advice another female friends gave to me. So coming from the type of family that I come from, you know, having a cleaner was like a, what the hell are you like? My mum would have been like, what are you doing? That's your job. And that's like, it's felt like a really privileged thing to do. So you have to get over yourself first. Well, a colleague at the time said to me, if you work out what your hourly rate is, and you work out what you're going to pay somebody to clean your house rate is. And if your hourly rate is more than that, you're not being efficient. How much is that time worth? And when I looked at it that practically, even with my project management or job, you know, my job hat on, that was an inefficiency in my life because I was losing out twice. First of all, I was doing a job that I could pay someone else less to do. Second of all, and most importantly of all, I was losing out on quality time with my children. 
So that's one of the things that I say to people. And and for years, I never told anybody that I had a cleaner because I felt embarrassed because I didn't want anybody to know because of my cultural context around being privileged in that way. But the other thing that, that I did was I found women cleaners who were starting up their own business. I had a woman gardener who was starting out her business. So I took a very conscious approach to support other women who were starting out new businesses themselves and then supported them with finding other friends who they could do the jobs for. So it then felt like a little community of Mm. women supporting each other as opposed to, oh, that's just my cleaner. It wasn't like that. It was my friend who was starting up a business who was doing... So that's one of my top tips to families who are struggling with the amount of stuff to do is look at your stuff to do and what can you delegate Mm -hmm. what comes through very strongly is you have to let go of Mm. what you thought an ideal parent and leader would be in order to become the awesome leader that you are today so there's it sounds like there was a bit of saying goodbye to the ideal clean at night and get everything sorted which is a hard thing to do isn't it when I was growing up into that phase of life, it was definitely about you are invincible. You can do everything. You can be the perfect housewife and the perfect daughter-in-law and the perfect mother and the perfect career woman. That's nonsense. That's, that's, that's just asking for trouble. But it took a little bit of time, like you say, and letting go, recognizing what you can let, let go of and not seeing that as a, as a negative thing, actually seeing that as a very empowering thing. You've worked hard to gain the privileges that you can, can. And if in that journey, you can support other people, do it. It's win-win all around. Mm. What did you do with? Guilt, for example, if suddenly you see a child who always pretends they're on the phone because you see they, they see you on the phone all the time or they say, mommy, don't go. How did you deal with that? Yeah, I think the guilt thing never fully leaves. And I think that when you're a working parent and particularly working mum, because of the social expectations on us, we seem to have an additional level of guilt. For me anyway, the social context was that I should be at home. And, you know, my mum would say things like, you're up and down the country, you should be at home with the kids, you know, and things like, statements like that were sort of common, you know, from people. There was this sort of, and other, other women friends as well, we're at home picking up the children every day from school. I'm like, well, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not. But you got, you got a sense that actually that's what I should be doing. And anyway, one of my, one of the fair things that my therapist said to me is whenever you have a thought that starts with should, just pause and think about whose should that is. And if you're creating a life that is unique to you, that's certainly something if I did it again, would definitely go back and go now that we're aware of the whole gender pay gap thing in such as, I mean, I knew it, but I never really gave it the attention that Mm. it deserved. But I think I'd be much harder negotiating the salaries that I was on because I'm sure there were times that I was paid way less than I should have been paid. But you live and learn. Absolutely. And we're recording this on the 12th of November. And I think, is it tomorrow or the day after tomorrow, where it's equal pay day? And from then onwards until the 31st, women in the UK work for free if you want to look at the pay gap that way. So it's a, it's definitely a helpful reminder. 
Mm -hmm. Why don't we finish with one or two practical things someone who's currently struggling with just well-being can do today, assuming they don't have lots of time to take a big holiday or go for two hours at the gym? Is there anything that they can start with? Absolutely. Look, you know, we look up the five ways to well-being. It's evidence-based, but it's things like really simple things like make time to connect with a mate and have a conversation it, even if it's just once a week that you have an hour on the phone when the kids have gone to bed to just have a really good quality conversation about what's going on in your world a little bit of exercise and I think I don't need to say that to young parents I mean my goodness you're just running around all over the place but actually just a short walk to the shop not maybe jumping in the car all the time because physical activity is so good for our well-being little things like learning a new skill and that might not be possible to practice again when you've got a young family but that doesn't mean I'm not talking about going out and learning to play the guitar I'm talking about really simple things like learning to bake cake with the kids that actually involves cooking is a really good way of actually learning a new skill but involving the kids and pausing uh, you know switch the phone off and just have an hour, half an hour, half a day. I regularly do leave my phone at home and it's a conscious decision and just go without a phone for a day or half a day because it's really important to take that break and be present in what you're doing. And we know that we have better relationships when we're present as well. And it's a really important factor for parents with young children as well, making eye contact, teaching them to communicate and actually being present with them in the moment. So those are the things that I would say you do, which aren't that big a leap. It's just about thinking more carefully about how you're doing your day and building in the five ways of well-being, mm -hmm. even if it's one or two of those things once a day mm, I love that very small changes yeah fantastic thank you so much Poppy I've really enjoyed our conversation thank you very much another really enlightening conversation I had was with Dr. Suhana Ahmed um, Dr. Suhana Ahmed is a Leeds Plus Fellow and she is a consultant psychiatrist who led a psychiatric inpatient ward during this COVID crisis and she describes how she looked after others and created that sense of it's okay. Well, it's, it's obviously not okay because there are people who've caught COVID in, on her board. But how she made people feel supported in a very, very messy situation where several people on her board caught COVID, where there were people um, going through end-of-life processes and, and in the end passed away in this very, very challenging time and, and how she supported herself and the rest of the team through that. I think I've learned lots of key lessons on being a leader. I've jotted some of them down. I don't know if you wanted me to go through them. Yeah, please share. So the first thing I've got is, so leadership learning point one, I've got sometimes you do just have to drop things and be present as a leader, especially if you're on the front line. And again, that was my first experience on the Sunday. And I know that they were so relieved to see me. And actually, I didn't really do a huge amount. I listened to what they were saying. And then I, we all sat down and we all just sort of reflected on things. 
and oh, I took in biscuits, which is exactly what they needed. So I guess that's my first point. My second point is that I've realised that in a crisis, there's a balance between sort of the pastoral support that you provide, but also the more practical and systemic things that you had to do. So on that Sunday evening, I listened, but then I sort of sat down with a piece of paper and I said, what do we need to do and what do I need to highlight to sort of the exec team? There's a balance between those sort of two things. Point three I've put is how important structure was and how important it has been in the last of six to eight weeks. And by that, I mean, we usually have weekly handover meetings. We were having daily handover meetings. So every morning at nine, everyone that was working would get together and we were meeting about how many patients were positive, what we were doing about them. And then at the end of that meeting, I would say, right, so what can I do? Or what are the main issues to flag up? And I think that really set the tone for the day. And I think it being first thing in the morning was really helpful. I learned that leadership is about leading everyone sometimes. And I mean my staff, but also my patients. I obviously don't line manage everyone on my ward. They have different line managers, but so much of it was about supporting the nursing staff and my healthcare assistants who to be honest, are the ones that have the closest contact with the patients. They're the ones that are washing them and bathing them. So they potentially are the people that are most at risk. So it was about leading that whole team. And it wasn't just about doctors. I guess my next point is anxiety. So that has been an issue the whole way. Anxiety about PE, anxiety about taking it home to your kids and your families. And I've realised there are two steps to that. I think one is acknowledging the anxiety. I completely acknowledge that a lot of the staff were anxious. I was anxious and what their reasons were. But I guess the second part of that is somehow actioning that. So I acknowledge their anxiety. I said, okay, so what should we do? So it wasn't just about acknowledging it. It was about trying somehow to have some action from that. So it felt as though... I was taking those things on board. And even though I might not be able to solve them completely myself, I was either going to other people or talking to other people and somehow sort of signposting it was a big part of it. Sorry, if I can just add something to that. I think it's really interesting, the point around anxiety, because, of course, right now there will be lots of people experiencing anxiety, but everyone how you do that as a leader, how you deal with that when your team experiences anxiety Mm. and you do as well and you don't have the answers. Yes, and that was the hardest thing for me. So I think the first thing was they wanted someone to listen to them. So I think the worst thing you can do is not acknowledge it because that's the first step. And I guess the second step is to say to them, what should we do about this or what can we do about this? And I found myself using the word we more and more. Mm. And I use it a lot more now than I ever did before, because I think it was about what can I do or what can you do? There is something about the word we that made people respond to it. It made it feel like we were in it together. So I found that that was really powerful. Again, this ties in with it. You know, I think at some point and in a crisis, leadership is about being on the shop floor. It's about being prepared to do anything. It's about asking people, what can I do to help? How can I help? And I found that there was no real hierarchy. You all sort of blended into one. So I would say to the nursing staff, is there someone that you need me to watch for you while you go and have a break? A lot of people would say that's something a consultant would never do. 
but actually that's what they needed. And a lot of the time being a leader is, is looking at what your team need. And a lot of the time it was just those basic things. Yeah, you know, one thing that really has stuck with me and I was really surprised with, I expected to remember when it all, the leaders program has just started when mm. the whole situation hit. And I fully expected, I have to admit, for all the NHS fellows to say, right, let's postpone it for us mm. and join the next year again. But none of them did. And you did all the pre-work, you joined the sessions, you're super engaged. I'm just interested. That was not what I expected of someone in a crisis. And yet you did that. I think for me, Leaders Plus has been sort of an outlet. So it has been something that is different. It hasn't been dealing with COVID and dealing with really sick patients on my ward. It's been dealing with people who aren't doctors, which is great, who are mothers and who have challenges, who aren't the same as me, but have really similar challenges. So we sort of had like a group Microsoft Teams call the other day. Someone saying something, and I think she works in banking or something, but I just totally related to it. I know exactly what you mean. So for me, it didn't feel like Work Leaders Plus. It felt like an outlet. So I looked forward to things like that. On a really dark day where I had dealt with lots and lots of sick people, it felt like it was me time and it made it more sort of, I gave myself permission to have that me time. And I can't sort of say enough how powerful it is to meet people like people that have been in the same situation as you, who are different walks of life as you. There is something so powerful about having all those people with the same aim or vision or outlook as you in the same room or in the same vicinity. I think it's incredibly powerful and it gives you permission. It gives you permission to be like that. I think and human nature is that we look to be given permission. That's how society works. So I think that's what Leaders Plus did for me at a time when I really needed it. You know, I think it helped me immensely. I said, get away from just the intensity of the work on the ward. And it helped me see that there was life outside of my 16 bedded ward, which was overrun with really anxious staff and really sick patients. I was able to see that there was life outside of that. I want to finish off with three practical things that you think someone who's leading in a crisis right now and at the same time has responsibility for a young child could try doing this week to help them emerge well out of it. So I guess my first one is be kind, not just to obviously, like I've said, your staff and your child, but to yourself. So I think a practical thing is you need to have a bit of time to yourself every day, even if that is 10 or 15 minutes, but it needs to be you time when you're not doing the dishes, when you're not looking after the child and when you're not doing your work. So that would be one thing. The second thing would be that, and it sounds a bit corny, but that things do pass. So bad days are bad days, but they don't mean the next 200 days are going to be bad. So if you've had a bad day and I'm the worst person at this, park it. If you can take anything away from it, do. But if you can't, it's a day. There are lots and lots of days ahead. Just park it. And the third thing I think, and I've started doing this more and more, I have a little book where I write the good things that have happened or the good things that people have said to me. So if I've had feedback from patients or if someone has said something nice or done something for me, I put the date and I put 
the little thing that someone has said or done. So I now have a little book of all those things. So when I have that bad day and that day when I think, God, what? I don't even know why I woke up this morning. It gives me something to look in and it makes me realise that human nature is that we ignore all the good things that happen and we focus on the bad things. So have that little notepad or have that little book because you will find out it fills up really, really quickly, a lot quicker than if you were to pick up on all the bad things that people said about you. The next snippet is from a managing workload panel discussion that we had at the very beginning of the pandemic where we found that quite a few of our fellows were understandably struggling with their workload Um, and you'll hear from a number of people from that panel discussion that give very practical advice Uh, if you want to listen to the full thing it's episode 21 of the podcast first up is Leaders Plus fellow Susanna Hardiman and she's also the CEO of Action Tutoring who shares very practically how she sets some of those boundaries and what's important to her. I think my biggest learning points in managing workload have been to be really clear to both myself and to my team what my priorities are and where it is that I can most add value to the team. I think before I had Joshua, it was quite easy to say yes to a lot of things. And one of my biggest learnings since having Joshua is learning to say no and not being embarrassed or ashamed to say no. And it's definitely something that I found has got easier over time and it's enabled me to streamline my work and really think about, as I said, what my priorities are and what are my skills that I can really bring to the team that will most add value to the work we're doing. The other thing for me that was really important to set out early on was that I knew that being back for my son's bedtime most days was something that was a really, really important to me that I really wanted to try and prioritise. So I actually explained to my team at work really early on that I would be leaving to get back for bedtime most days and set that expectation that I, I wouldn't be staying late in the office. The team know that sometimes that means I will pick up emails and things in the evenings once Joshua is asleep, but making that really clear boundary that that was a really important value for me and for my family early on was really valuable. There are reasons why I might miss bedtime, for example, a board meeting or a networking event that I think is going to be particularly useful, but I'm very clear that it has to be a really good reason to do that and to try and keep that bedtime time really sacred for us as a family. Next up is Vicky Fox, who is Director of Regulation and Insight, or who was actually, I should say, was Director of Regulation and Insight at the time of recording at the Independent Parliamentary Standards Authority, and who is now CEO at the Supreme Court. And she also was a senior leader mentor to one of our Leaders Plus fellows on the programme. How do you maximise your sanity practically especially when you have young kids running around and huge pressure going on i'm sure others will have tips as well but i think that we all have ideas of how we want to live our life and how we want to bring up our children and you know i was very clear at the start that i wanted to be a very hands-on mum and i didn't want them to have screen time not that there were smartphones around when my children were very young but I was going to be this delicious mummy that made all their food that read to them that never raised her voice and just smiled you know in an earth other way the entire time and of course that lasted about 24 hours so I think the thing somebody told me very early on is you have these ideas and you have these principles and values about how you want to run your life but think about what's actually happening as a result of them and this overarching principle of maximising the sanity. If you are in a state and you need 20 minutes to yourself, 
it's okay for your child to watch telly. You know, as I think you were saying, Susanna, it won't matter. They won't remember it. But what they will remember is a parent that was more present and calmer and more loving because they took a bit of time to do what they needed to do. We sometimes have far too many expectations of ourselves and that maximizing the sanity gives us freedom to think, what do I actually need to do in this particular situation to keep everyone calm and happy? Rather than can I boast on social media that my child read Jane Eyre and they're only three years old? Yeah, sometimes choosing to give yourself permission to have that, I think it's very powerful. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I am really pleased you listened all the way to the end and I hope you found plenty of inspiration and useful snippets that you can take over to your own lives. This week I received a call from one of the podcast listeners because you know there's a function to set up a call with me on the website and I was so blown away because she said that it had the podcast had really changed how she related, it changed her mindset, it changed how she related to her work and family and it made her think differently about just not feeling she has to be apologetic about having very young children and that so made my day and she told me it was part of the bedtime routine uh, most evenings and I just thought that was such a lovely thing so a big thank you for getting in touch with me I appreciate it and if anyone else wants to have a chat or has ideas or feedback or suggestions it's at leaders underscore plus I read all the tweets I do a lot of tweeting myself you can also on Instagram I'm obviously on LinkedIn so Perina Hefti I'm sure you'll find me I absolutely love to hear from you if you do want to check out a practical resource we do have a very useful workbook on boundaries leadersplus.org.uk forward slash boundaries you'll find a really practical workbook that you can download now just to help you work through some of the challenges that you might be facing around setting boundaries and then as usual do check out the Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme if you go to leadersplus.org.uk forward slash fellowship you find all the information about it and it's a really lovely way to join a like-minded community of peers and we do have every single year we always have 10% of places for people in need of hardship funds so if finance is a barrier then don't let it be you get a senior leader mentor you get a brilliant community of peers me and my team we put so much thought into really helping you think through what you want for your career and giving you practical support and actually this week as i'm recording this we have a productivity expert who is running a session with our fellows around workloads so it's definitely one thing that we cover as well well enjoy the week the christmas preparation and thank you so much for listening again